welcome to Case Dismissed, a podcast that tries to make law fun, or at the very least, less boring. I'm Caris Williams. I'm Tierney Green. And today we're going to be talking about something a bit different. So we had a long discussion about whether to go for this episode and decided that it's an important enough topic that not only did we want to discuss it, but we wanted to make sure that we did it justice, no pun intended. This is going to be a longer episode than our previous ones, and we're going to discuss several cases, although the overall theme is more important than any of the individual cases. These are all part of an overarching whole, in which nuanced or informed discussion often takes a back seat. And so, even if we only have one listener... Hi, Dad. ...then that still goes some way towards changing that. So... We should probably mention that we are in the same room again this time. Whoop! Um, But this episode is also going to be heavier than the kind of thing we usually go for. And as such, we decided to discuss it with each other beforehand. It's not a a bit that Karis has no idea what we're going to talk about. She genuinely has no idea at all, usually. About anything. At all. (laughs) But this time I wanted to check what she thought about us covering something much more serious before we got into it. That also means that we're going to present this episode together before discussing each sort of individual part. So before we start, this episode does come with a trigger warning for rape and sexual assault. The whole episode is not going to be about that. And when that section starts, we will warn for it. And we will also be discussing BDSM and kink. This is a good time to mention that full references for all of our episodes are available on the episodes page on our website, www.casedismissed.co.uk. So, this week we're going to be talking about consent in UK criminal law. Aside from it being relevant due to the Me Too movement, we think that there's a considerably wider discussion to be had about consent specifically. Me Too has been incredibly important for bringing to light several awful cases of rampant abuse going unchecked, and I think that it has opened the door to a very public discussion of rape and sexual assault in general. However, that's not where we're going to be starting. I am going to pause for a second. This is going to work. Okay, you can't do that in the middle of a track. To open up, we're going to give a brief overview of the history of consent in UK law, although to be clear, we're not going to delve into the history of medical consent because that's not particularly relevant to what we'll be talking about today. Getting informed consent for medical procedures has its own history, but that doesn't directly impact the cases we're talking about in this episode. So consent as it pertains to sex, specifically, has existed in some form in UK law for almost a thousand years. However, it wasn't specifically defined, as far as we're aware, until the 2003 Sexual Offences Act. In England and Wales, it's defined as a person consents if he agrees by choice and has the freedom and capacity to make that choice. In Scotland and Northern Ireland, it's slightly different, but the core concept is always about it being a free choice that somebody's made. Consent as a defence in non-sexual cases first came up in 1981 with the extremely catchy and memorable name of AG's reference number six of 1980, (laughs) a case in which two, quote, youths decided to settle an argument with a fight. I don't know whether they were boys. I assume that they were. (laughs) The question was whether the injuries they inflicted upon each other should be prosecuted as both consented to having the fight. It was essentially supposed to be mediation of this other argument, presumably. It was held that it wasn't enough, but it did define some circumstances under which one could use consent as a defence. 
properly conducted games and sports, reasonable surgical interference, cosmetic enhancements, and horseplay. Exactly what is meant by horseplay is not specified. (laughs) So the reason that the then House of Lords decided that consent could not be a defence was that it is not in the public interest that people should try to cause or should cause each other actual bodily harm for no good reason. We are going to talk about what they meant by actual bodily harm slightly later on. And perhaps what no good reason also means. Oh, that's not actually really been very specific. No good reason is... Inherently subjective, arguably, really, isn't it? So, exactly. Yeah. Um, and sort of on that note, when we talk about consent, we're often talking about sex, uh, although not necessarily. And the first case we're going to look at this week isn't a sexual case at all, but revolves around body modifications. So Brendan McCarthy was someone who was running at a two-piercing and body modifications emporium, fancy word, in Wolverhampton, until a complaint was made in 2015 to the local council's environmental health team. Upon investigation, they found that he did not have a licence to perform medical procedures, although at that time there was no legal ruling for whether body modifications actually constituted medical procedures. So that's why informed consent for medical procedures isn't directly relevant to what we're talking about, because piercing and tattooing are not considered medical procedures, and surprisingly, there is little to no regulation of that industry. That's actually why piercing guns used in jewellers' shops are still legal, even though we know that they are incredibly unhygienic and they are a really terrible way to pierce people. So just FYI, if you're thinking of getting piercings, please go to a tattoo shop or a dedicated piercing place, because piercing guns usually lead to infections. And proper tattoo and piercing shops take that sort of thing very seriously. To give you a quick example, uh, Tierney knows that I have long wanted to get my eyebrows pierced, <laughs> which everyone I know agrees would be a fantastic look for me no, and wouldn't look weird at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone you know said your eyebrows are too fine and you will look silly. <laughs> so for my birthday one year, Tierney kindly offered to take me to a piercing shop where I asked them for an eyebrow piercing and they refused because they said it wouldn't suit my face, although they were happy to pierce my ears instead. So I think that's an example of how seriously a lot of tattoo and piercing studios take their jobs to the point of actually refusing to serve people, despite the fact that it's obvious to all that I would look amazing with an eyebrow piercing. I mean, if you'd, if you'd really pressed it, he would have done it. And he did say that. I was like, look, if you really, really, really want it. But I was also stood there saying, if you want this, I'll pay for it. <laughs> but like, I don't think I'm with him. I don't think you should do this. And the fact that there were two of us stood there going, no, that was it. As of yet, no eyebrow piercing, but watch this space. So back to Brendan McCarthy, uh, who was known professionally as Dr. Evil, which we don't imagine helped his case. That's my bitch. He's following the complaint with the legal counsel. So right. (laughs) Okay. We're going to cut that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But Brat... All right. Back to Brendan McCarthy. Following the complaint made to the local council, he was arrested in December 2015. To be clear, the council have actually issued a statement saying their issue was McCarthy not having a licence to carry out the modification procedures, and that they also felt there did need to be more regulation of body modifications, that it's akin to cosmetic surgery. So Mr McCarthy, known professionally as Dr Evil, which I cannot imagine helped his case (laughs) one bit was then charged with grievous bodily harm. So this was the first time that body modifications had come before a UK court. Previously, people thought that it would have fallen under one of the exceptions defined in the case from 1981 as a cosmetic enhancement. 
And that was the case with the two youths who had a fight, right? Yes. Yep. So, um, we'll just quickly run down the different types of assault, as we're going to be talking about them quite a lot in this episode. So, assault itself is actually just fear that you're going to be attacked. So, for example, if someone swings a punch at you and misses, that still constitutes assault. Sort of equal to that, we have battery. So that's when someone has managed to actually hit you, but they haven't done a lot of damage. You're probably really, really pissed off. And you might have a couple of bruises, but that's about it. And we then have assault occasioning actual bodily harm, which you probably heard of as ABH, which means that you did not get, uh, sorry, which means that you did get hurt. And it was more than just a quote unquote trifling injury, but it wasn't life threatening. Now, it's not always clear where the line is drawn, and sometimes it is decided case by case. So the last one is assault occasioning grievous bodily harm, usually known as GBH, which probably means you landed in the hospital and had surgery or some sort of permanent injury. It's the most serious non-fatal violent offence. If you intend to cause someone GBH and then they die, you actually get charged with murder rather than manslaughter. That's how serious it is. Intent to cause GBH is enough for murder. Uh, I see. Okay. So there are some exceptions to these, right, which are from the catchily named 1861 Offences Against the Person Act, which are things like surgery, self-defence and stuff like boxing matches. There are also exceptions for cosmetic enhancement. And considering that, McCarthy probably would have had no reason to think he'd ever be charged with a crime for conducting his body modification business. There are no qualifications that you can take to become licensed to perform these procedures. Um, and by these procedures, we're talking about things like tongue splitting mm-hmm. and ear removal. Um, but McCarthy did attend multiple short courses. Yes, I. we probably should mention what he actually did to his clients because uh, I've realised I've missed that. Out when this yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, the three things that he was charged for were um, the removal of the external part of an ear, splitting people's tongues to make it into like a sort of forked tongue effect, and the other one was a nipple removal. It was never in doubt whether his clients pr- consented to these procedures. The question was simply whether it was of sufficient defence that they'd consented. Much has been made of the fact that he had out-of-date equipment and performed the procedures without anaesthetic, but arguably he wouldn't have been able to access these things as he isn't medically trained, and he had no reason to think that he needed to be. And actually, it probably would have been an offence for him to give someone anaesthetic, someone assumes, because then you're performing surgical procedure without a licence. Yeah, I have friends who are doctors, and they I've talked to them about this case, and they said, well he wouldn't have been able to get those things and I don't really want most people to be able to get those things. Um, So yeah, when it was decided that consent could not be used as a defence, he pled guilty and he was sentenced to 40 months in prison with the expectation that he'll probably serve about half of that. So, yeah, it's... I hate this case. I think it's just... I don't even know where to start. Like, Well, so... As Tierney said earlier, it's not a pretense that I don't know what we're talking about. I just genuinely am that funny and quick most of the time. (laughs) But on this occasion, because we're talking about something extremely serious, um, we have talked about it beforehand. And one of the things that came up when Tierney and I were talking is exactly who does it serve for Brendan McCarthy to be prosecuted and put in jail? Exactly who is benefiting there? And it's really hard to define that. It's also... What he was charged with. So he's been charged with a really violent 
offence, like a, he's got to have a criminal record for the rest of his life for an, for a violent crime, the most violent non-fatal offence that we have. So let's just be clear. So exactly what has he been found guilty of? Grievous bodily harm. Which is the most violent one, right? It is, yeah. Um, this is that. This is the point. So the, the local council said that there needs to be better regulation of body modifications, tattoos, piercings, and stuff. I agree with that. I completely agree with it. And I have read a lot of um, tattoo artists and piercers and body modifications um, experts, I suppose, um, who said... Practitioners. Practitioners, yeah. Um, who said, we want more regulation. There isn't any. If there is a course I can go and do, I will go and do it. But there isn't one. And, And, like, I don't know how that regulation is going to come about just because this guy's been charged with GBH. Like, it doesn't automatically create new legislation. It drives things underground. Yeah, it has. That, that's what it does. I mean, one of his clients has been interviewed afterwards, and it was also... The police went to get a statement from him after he'd said, you know, I consented to this procedure, I wanted From the it. client, not from Dr. Evil. Yes, from the client. And he said, well, I never would have had it done if I'd known it was illegal. He said, I wasn't that desperate to have my ear removed. And I'm like, well, I mean, it wasn't actually illegal because it wasn't illegal until we had this case, essentially. this Because it was always a very, we sort of assume that it is, but no one's ever tested it. Like, I keep saying this to one of my friends in contract law. They're like, oh, is this legal or not? It's like, well, actually, we're not sure. Try not to be the test case. Particularly where it comes to GDPR. It's like, don't be the test case. So... <laughs> And, and um, yeah, McCarthy himself also said that he would not have prosecuted... He, sorry. McCarthy himself also said that he wouldn't have performed the procedures if he'd known that he could have been prosecuted for doing that. No, of course he wouldn't. If he'd known he was going to be in prison for three years. Um, I, yeah. I mean, do we think... And personally, by we I mean you and me, Tierney. Do we think that they're should be a line so if for example one of his clients had wanted their hand removed i think the thing is that doesn't impair your function like that doesn't impair how you your body works having your hand removed um no let me start again because i'm thinking about the nipple removal and not the thing so just to start my point again. So one of his clients wanted their nipple removed because I think they'd essentially like stretched it. And, via multiple piercings. Yeah, via multiple piercings or, or like stretching equipment or something. And they got loads of scar tissue and they really hated it and they just wanted it removed. They went through the NHS and said, I want this procedure doing. And he couldn't find any surgeon who was willing to perform this procedure. And he's really happy with it. And he says he's a lot happier now that he's had it done. And he would still go and get that done, whether or not this guy had been prosecuted. He would have just gone underground somewhere. So, he, But anyway, so here's why I think that the current law does need to be changed. But we need to maintain a line. I think personally that the line should be that you consent to something as long as you won't suffer any permanent damage that will affect your ability to use your body. So I also think that it should be taken that consent was not given unless it can be conclusively proven, proved 
that the alleged victim consented, and the burden for that should be on the defence to establish if he wants to use it as a defence. So he shouldn't have been prosecuted because not only did he have paperwork, but his alleged victims also said that they consented. Mm-hmm. It's This is what it is. Like Most surgeons will refuse to remove a perfectly functioning hand. Yes, and I think, and to be clear, when we're talking about this, we are not necessarily talking about medical consent because quite often medical procedures do impair your bodily functions, but they're doing so hopefully to prevent something worse. Yeah, but in something dying. like this, yeah. exactly. Um, in something like this, I think there was no benefit to prosecuting McCarthy. Yeah. Um, and certainly reading some of the accounts of his sentencing, it's very upsetting. You know, he was absolutely distraught, as were friends of his who were in the courtroom. You know, there was no one publicly pushing... Oh, no, actually, let, let me rephrase that. Who does it benefit? That's just the question I keep coming back to. This is the thing, because they keep saying, um, judges particularly keep saying, well, you know, this was done in the public interest. We don't want people to be able to do all this stuff. It's like, well, I'm sorry, but, you know, who does it benefit that I can go and get my breasts enlarged if I am if I exactly. was so inclined? Completely cosmetic. Or labiaplasties, which for the most part are often cosmetic and involve removal of parts of your labia, generally for cosmetic reasons. Yeah, or like, you know, where? How how far do we go? I mean, my hair is currently pink. My mom doesn't like it. Should she be allowed? Should she <laughs> yeah, be your allowed? Yeah, your mum's wrong, by the way. Your hair looks awesome. Thank you. Um, you know, she doesn't like it. Should she be allowed to stop me? No, exactly. You know, oh, and I mean, I think there is a line, but I think to be clear, if any of these people had undertaken the procedures on themselves, none of them would have been prosecuted. No, cutting off your own nipple is not something that you would be prosecuted for. So this is where, to me, it then gets into a very murky area. So we, we do 100% agree with um, Wolverhampton Council's statement, essentially, where they said that um, we want there to be more regulation in this area. I completely agree. I think that there should be a qualification that people should have to undertake for tattooing and piercing. I don't think it should cost too much, but I think it should be a proper course. I think there should be more regulation as to who can do mm-hmm. piercings. I don't think that this should be done in jeweler shops anymore, basically. And I think there should also be very strict legislation around anyone who tattoos someone who is drunk or otherwise impaired. Exactly. It's the, the medical consent is about informed consent. And that's where you could bring that in if you had proper regulation and like certification. So then you'd stop people getting bad tattoos or infections from piercings because they'd be going to certified shops. And the same for this body modification um, stuff. I mean, tongue splitting does exist outside this guy. He's not the only person who does it. It's relatively popular and we don't... People are going to continue doing it. They're just not going to do it in the much cleaner high street shops. It'll drive it underground. It'll drive it underground. What we really want is there to be like a course that he could have gone on. He went on multiple short courses that were available. I'm sure if there was a proper, I don't know, six month course that he could have taken where he would have then, he could have been then certified by the General Medical Council. I think that that makes sense. But he he could be licensed to perform only Mm. very superficial because that's essentially what they are. Uh, Yes, I have to say, I don't know enough about tongue splitting, but my understanding is it actually does have quite a few medical it can cause medical issues but so can as you made the point earlier breast enlargements in fact we know that those can have very serious health consequences and yet they're still perfectly legal whereas things like subdermal implants for example i Mm -hmm. i imagine that there's quite a murky area around those at the moment 
Yeah, because that's is that a piercing? Sort of, but not yes, but no, but yes, mm-hmm. but no. And this is the problem is a lot of the stuff is yes, but no, but yes. But the thing with tongue splitting is it's you cauterize as you go along, apparently. Um, one of my friends is a doctor and she looked it up for me, so I did not have to oh, see the picture. That's a nice phrase. Yes. Cauterize as you go along. Um, because the tongue bleeds quite a lot, which is actually part of the problem, and it's it, you can't keep it sanitary. But that's also true of tongue piercings, which are totally fine and no one's actually talked about. So, and we we also have to look at um, genital piercings. Yeah. So, um, on the NHS... Well, we don't have... Let's rephrase that. We don't have to look at genital piercings. <laughs> no. I was doing but, instruction. No, but, like, they, they can go quite badly wrong. And also, um, a lot of women who get... Um, I don't really know where the piercings are around Generally the genital area. the clitoral foot. Anyway... Not, 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 not for, me. for us, no, but, but that's not the point, no. that's not what but, the law should be about. And in fact, um, in certain parts of the country, on the NHS, if you go into hospital and you've got one of these piercings, you're listed as having female genital mutilation. But if you've had a labiaplasty, that's not the case. How is one FGM and not the other? I mean, you consented to both, but arguably... Mm-hmm. You know, well, it's it's just a piercing. Exactly. But again, there's no regulation on who can you know stick bits yeah. in your in your bit. And I think <laughs> I think that moves us on to another area where consent and often genitals and bodily modification intersect, which is BDSM. So to quickly kind of look at a definition of BDSM for those who aren't familiar with it, there are many and variable definitions of exactly what it is. But the acronym itself is generally understood to stand for bondage, discipline, domination, submission, sadism and masochism. So BDSM has become a kind of catch-all term for various acts of kink. And whilst we're not going to attempt to define it too closely, for the purposes of this episode, when we talk about BDSM, we mean erotic practices, which may include, but are not exclusive to, bondage, discipline and so on. So... One thing that is really worth noting is that the concept of consent and its importance is something that often takes centre stage with individuals and communities involved in BDSM. And this is evidenced by the fact that a whole terminology and framework has developed around consent within the BDSM community. For example, concepts such as verbal or non-verbal safe words, which someone can utter at any point to instantly stop activity and signal discomfort, The concept of limits, which are activities that people have identified as things they don't want to do under any circumstances. And things like pre-seen negotiations in which those involved in the activities discuss in detail exactly what they're about to do. These are all extremely common and often considered best practice by those in BDSM communities. Now, whilst not everyone involved in BDSM will always use or subscribe to these, I think it is fair to say that consent is something that many of those involved in BDSM consider to be of the utmost importance. It is something around which there is usually a lot of awareness, and it is often, quite rightly, prioritised within BDSM communities. So um, we are not really experts, and if you want to know more about that, you should, there is a lot of really great resources online. The one you shouldn't use is Fifty Shades of Grey, because everything <laughs> I have read is basically said, nope, this is just straight up abuse. So... If you know, if you read Fifty Shades and went, oh, this is quite fun, don't use that as a guide. Mm-mm. Do your research. There's loads and loads of free resources online from people who are actually involved in these kind of communities. And if you're interested in learning more about it, um, we're probably not the best fount <laughs> of knowledge for that sort of thing. But I, th- I thought that was a really great um, summary. Thanks, Karis, I should say. Um, 
she says. Yeah. Little idea. Anyway, um, so the case that involves BDSM, because of course there is a case that involves BDSM, otherwise I wouldn't have brought it up. Um, a video was brought to the attention of the police in Manchester in 1987, which appeared to show acts of torture being committed. The police thought that it was a prelude to a murder, and they thus started a murder investigation, which they called Operation Spanner. Imagine their surprise, therefore, when they found the apparent victims alive and well, saying that the video depicted sadomasochism, to which they fully consented, and presumably enjoyed. No one has ever asked that in any of the articles that I've read, but I have to assume that they did. I mean, someone was getting something out of that. Yes. Moving on. I... uh... (laughs) I think it's relevant at this point to state that the quote-unquote victims and quote-unquote perpetrators were all gay men. I'm not convinced that if it were straight people on the video that the subsequent prosecution wouldn't have happened, but given that this was the 80s, I really don't feel like I could rule that out. Certainly we know that gay people were not generally treated kindly under the law, so... Draw your own conclusions, I think, that. And it's also um, the men in the video, and I should be clear here, that the people receiving the quote-unquote torture were also charged... Some of them are charged with other things, but they were charged with aiding and abetting in their own assault. And all the rest of them were charged with assault occasioning actual bodily harm. So that's the second rank down, right, from GBH. It is, yes. Um, This is the thing, is that charged with aiding and abetting in their own assault is is where I'm thinking that the homophobia kicks in, to be perfectly Mm -hmm. honest. Because there have been a couple of other cases we'll get on to that involved heterosexual couples and the female was always in receipt of the sadism and she was never ever charged with aiding and abetting in a road assault. Although there were no videos in those cases so I don't know if that affected it as well Mm -hmm. but I'm thinking it's homophobia. I can't prove that, that's just my personal opinion. Anyway, it was a bit difficult to find accounts of what actually happened in the video but I... Katie has an interesting internet search history. Yeah! (laughs) Not that I didn't before, of course. Um, <laughs> but I would bet good money if that you can find worse on the internet. If I was to go and look right now, I bet I could probably find similar stuff. Which we are not necessarily recommending, by the way. No, I really wouldn't. Mm. So the few things that we have read were admittedly really extreme. So we have been advised that people with penises are going to physically recoil at the thing that I am about to say. So Thanks consider my boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, who went, uh, from another roof. So consider yourselves warned. I'm starting now. So there was a branding, which I believe is on buttocks, but they also nailed somebody's foreskin to a board and inserted hot wax into the urethra of another after burning, presumably the penis, with a candle. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that done. Um, so sexual practices, which are arguably are very much in the category of do not try <laughs> this at home, and they are very, very extreme. I will grant that. So what happened next? Um, All of the men were convicted. It was held that consent was not a defence to assault occasioning actual bodily harm. It ended up going all the way to what is now the Supreme Court, was in the House of Lords, and even appealed to the European Court of Human Rights, but their convictions were upheld even in the European Court of Human Rights. Mm. Let's discuss the Supreme Court judgment, which actually have not allowed Karis to have anything to do with so that she can join me on Planet Rage Mm -hmm. in real time. It was a fairly narrow judgment, three to two, which speaks to the contentious nature of the case. That essentially means that three of the judges said, yep, we should uphold it, but two of them said, no, we shouldn't. So that is a, that's quite close. Um, let me just read you some of what Lord Templeman um, 
consenting said. I don't think it's consenting. The opposite of dissenting. Agreed. Assenting. Assenting, that's it. What Lord Temple means. Consenting. Yeah. <laughs> it's because we're talking about so consent. Much. Yeah. So he said, It is not clear to me that the activities of the appellants were exercises of rights in respect of private and family life. But assuming that the appellants are claiming to exercise those rights, I do not consider that Article 8, which is from the Human Rights Law, um, invalidates a law which forbids violence which is intentionally harmful to body and mind. Society is entitled and bound to protect itself against a cult of violence. Pleasure derived from the infliction of pain is an evil thing. Cruelty is uncivilised. So in my considered legal opinion, he can fuck off. It's... I'm sorry. No, I don't get it either. But that doesn't matter. I don't need to. Yes, I think telling people... Well, actually, no, I was going to say, I think telling people what they can derive sexual pleasure from, to a certain extent. Where that's... But where it involves consenting adults? No, not really. Who are you to say that something is or is not pleasurable? And so there is, there's obviously going to have to be a line somewhere because like we've both said independently outside here, we don't really want people to be um, able to consent to being, you know, killed and eaten, which is a thing. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things where it's like, you're just going to have to pretend, mate, and live with it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I I, I do appreciate that uh, that must be incredibly frustrating and I cannot imagine living with something like that. But... You you don't get the rest of your life after you've been killed and eaten. This yeah. is the thing. Um, so one of the dissenting judges, who's Lord Mustill, um, did say that upholding the convictions in this case would constitute legal scrutiny of private sexual relations, an area in which courts should be reluctant to play an active part. He lamented how the majority was appearing to use repugnance and moral objection to create a new crime. Which I actually agree with. I think that he was right. Um, I should also mention that all of them, I believe, were charged with keeping a disorderly house. So I think that's essentially a brothel. Um, And one person was charged with publishing an obscene article, uh, which was the videos themselves, for which they were found guilty. I actually don't take any issue with these charges and neither did any of the dissenting, either of the dissenting judges, I don't think. They said, yep, okay, they they all pled guilty to that. And if the police were just going to charge them with that, that's fine. Um, But it's... Yeah, I just I just don't think that they should have been convicted. Because, again, it doesn't serve anybody. They were all fine. They didn't need medical attention. Um, none of them were permanently injured. This mm-hmm. was noted in the case. Whether they consented or not was never in question. Um, one of the acts which took place in this video was an act of branding, as we said earlier. This tends to get a lot of attention when talking about this case because there was another case three years later. So... I should say, the final decision was handed down in 1993, because obviously going through all the different court processes takes a long time. On these time. men with the video. On the men with yeah. the video, yes. Yeah. So this is 1996 we're talking here. R and Wilson, which also involved a branding, but between a heterosexual couple. So not only was the female receiver of the branding not charged with anything, like I said, but the defendant was acquitted. It was decided that because they branded his initials on her, that it was art, and it was therefore protected. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not, I don't, that's, that sounds like bollocks, quite frankly. It feels like they've wrapped up homophobia and misogyny in one yeah. neat little package there. There was another case from a few years after that where I think the man was convicted. Um, and was the woman charged with aiding and abetting her own assault? She was not. Mm. She was not. Um, so... 
Why are we bringing this up regarding the Doctor Lever case? The Doctor... Why are we bringing this up regarding the Doctor Evil case that we were talking about a minute ago? So, because this case was cited as grounds for Brendan McCarthy's conviction, though these men were charged with a lesser offence and the circumstances are obviously very different, the crux of it is the same, which is as far as the law is concerned, consent is not a defence. The problem is, where does this stop? Where do we draw the line for what people can consent to and what they can't? Yeah, genuinely. I mean, you know, the million, partly a rhetorical question. Where do we draw the line? It, yeah, it is, it is the the million dollar question, isn't it? Like, do do I think? So there was a murder case from I don't remember when I'm afraid. I know it's from Germany, um, which was two people who were super into cannibalism. I know that they met each other online, so it can't have been that long ago. Um, and it was a guy who desperately wanted to be eaten. And somebody who desperately wanted to eat somebody, one of the things they did was they, they cut off one of them mm-hmm. um, yeah. parts and ate them. And then the guy, um, I think he like bled out in the bathtub or something, which is what he wanted. But then this other, the, you know, the one who essentially killed him was charged with murder. And it's like, well, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't... think the line for me definitely comes before killing someone. I yeah. don't think... In the cases of sexual gratification, let's leave aside something like euthanasia, mm. um, I don't think that you should be able to consent to be killed um, as part of a sex game. I also don't think that you should be able to consent to like you know remove limbs, like entire mm-hmm. limbs. Because this is a thing, so in the Doctor Evil case, removing the nipple... That's not actually really affected him in any. Mm-hmm. I mean, any male nipples way. do have no purpose. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're they're an mm. evolutionary oddity. And it's also so you can say, well, it could have gone really wrong. It's like, well, yes, yes, it could have. Um, it didn't. And also on top of that, you've got to remember that that's actually not how the law works. There's mm-hmm. a reason that attempted murder is not murder and it's because it didn't work. Yeah. It didn't go wrong and would he have been charged with something more if it had gone wrong and somebody potentially died then yes, it would have been yeah. gross negligence manslaughter. In the same way that driving can go wrong, you know, when you drive, you can, um, that can have awful consequences but we don't treat everyone who's driving like they are trying to kill someone or have killed someone. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's a bit of a glib distinction but you get the, the crux of it. Yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's basically so this is the thing so there's certain things that obviously we just don't think should be legal in much the same way that and I gave this example to Karis before and she quite liked this analogy so I'm going to use it again there is a junction that I'm not going to name in case they put a camera on it <laughs> yeah and you near, are looking at a future yeah, legal career yeah near my doctor's office and I'm not allowed to turn left I want to turn left because it's next to my doctor's office and it means I don't have to go all the way round so I just do it because I know it's safe and I know the reason why I can't turn left and I just do it very slowly and very carefully and knowing that if I get caught I will be like, yep, that's a fair cop and I will pay the fine. It's... I know that there's a reason it's illegal. I don't think that because I want to turn left there that it should therefore be legal. So it's much the same way that like having sex with somebody who's unconscious, for example, I know that that's a kink for some people, both being the person who is asleep and having sex with someone who's asleep. I don't think that we should actually make that legal just because some people get off on it. No, exactly, because the the point of that is you can't withdraw your consent if you're asleep. 
So I actually read a journal article by Marianne Giles in the Modern Law Review about Aaron Brown, which was talking about the idea of bodily harm being prima facie unlawful, unless the behaviour falls in one of the categories legalising conduct. Prima facie meaning essentially accepted to be unlawful unless proven otherwise. Okay, so you assume it's unlawful unless you can show it's not. Yes. Right. So um, guilty until proven innocent almost. Exactly. Um, in Well, in that, and, yeah. you know, if you can prove that the thing happened, it's taken that that it happened was unlawful unless you can prove it wasn't essentially unless you can prove it's one of the exceptions so i think that this could be a really good approach to bdsm cases where they get to prosecution that abh or gbh in those circumstances is illegal unless consent by the other party can be proven it should be noted that this article points out the part of the reasoning given by judges for not acquitting the defendants in R and Brown was because the judges felt that it should be left to Parliament to decide whether extreme sexual practices should be legalised, and that when homosexual sex was legalised, that Parliament had commissioned a report to help them decide whether to do that. I actually do think that that is a good point, and it could also apply to the body modifications case. A, pop- a proper report on all of this could be yep. really beneficial from people who know what they're talking about, who are involved in, you know, body modifications and BDSM and, you know, w- sex work potentially mm-hmm. as well. If you if you commission a proper report and actually really look into it... Backed up with evidence. Yeah. Then you also get to a point where it might be that, no, the law is fine as it is. Mm-hmm. I don't think it will be. But if it is and you've commissioned it properly, then great. You know, you can put the, put the mask to bed. Exactly. And I think we are cognizant that we don't want to be establishing defences for people who do things without getting consent from the other person or people. But establishing that consent existed is already part of the law around things like rape and sexual assault. So that may well be applicable to something like BDSM activities as well. Yeah, I mean, I had a point and I've lost it. (laughs) Let me just read. We what can you, add it back. In. Yeah, I'll, I'll read what you said, and then we can do that. That was it. Yeah. So the the point I was going to make about um, somnophilia earlier is basically somnophilia being sex with someone who is asleep or unconscious. Yes. Pretty much, no one's going to find out that this has happened. So if you know, if teenage adults are doing this in the privacy of their own home, there are certain things that I think should remain illegal. But that doesn't mean you're going to get caught. Rather like me turning left at that junction. But if you get caught, you need to understand that you are going to go to prison for it. Yes, and I don't know how necessarily how useful that is when we're trying to look at kind of changing legislation, Mm. if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, That what we want to do is look broadly at the principle of things as well. And so whilst absolutely, practically that might not be possible to mm. prosecute um should that you know should laws exist in the first place and i think we both think yes for someone who's unconscious but perhaps not for other activities that people mm. do as part of bdsm yeah i don't know how common it is to have your foreskin nailed to a board but um I, i'm going to assume that's a niche area of interest I'm going to hope that that's an easy area of interest, just because it, I'm not a penis haver, and I still am, like, physically recoiling. But no one's asking me to do it, so it's fine. That's sort of the point. And that's that the key detail, yeah. exactly, that we've, we've spent, you know, the last half an hour making. Yeah. Consenting adults are consenting adults. Yeah. So, okay, just to turn serious mode on now. Realistically, we can't talk about consent without discussing rape and sexual assault. We were originally saying, no, no, we won't go there. But actually, we've decided that we have to. 
Um, this is where the trigger warning will start. So there was an extremely harrowing case in the last year, um, ostensibly involving BDSM, and a lot of the media coverage talked about it in those terms, which was a man called John Broadhurst was originally charged with murder after engaging in incredibly rough sex with his girlfriend after a day of them both drinking and taking drugs. Her autopsy concluded that she died of both alcohol intoxication and blunt force injuries. Um, If you want to read more about the specific injuries she suffered, uh, they are in various news reports, but suffice it to say that she had what were described as horrific injuries. His girlfriend's name, by the way, was Natalie Connolly. After inflicting these injuries on her, he left her drunken bleeding at the bottom of the stairs where she later died. Now, why we're talking about this ostensibly involving BDSM was the fact that she enjoyed rough sex, quote unquote, and had a history of enjoying it, was accepted as a defence to what he did. So John Broadhurst was ultimately convicted of the lesser charge of gross negligence manslaughter and was sentenced to a grand total of three years and eight months in prison. He'll likely serve half of that in prison and half on remand. So basically, he'll be out in under two years. Yeah. So regardless of whether people are involved with BDSM or not, we don't believe that anyone could realistically think that it's acceptable to injure someone that severely, regardless of whether they wanted it or not, and then leave them injured at the bottom of the stairs when you both know that you're extremely intoxicated. She clearly needed medical attention, which he would have known if he hadn't left her at the bottom of the stairs, very badly injured and gone to bed. So the reason we're talking about this case is that we think this is a good example of where a line does need to be drawn somewhere. And that if he'd realised what he'd done, called an ambulance immediately and she'd still died, then perhaps this would have been an appropriate charge and sentence. Our problem and we're in agreement on this, is the fact that he left her. That he inflicted those injuries upon her, and we can't be sure whether that was consensually or not. It may have been, it may not have been, because she's died and she's not here to tell us. Um, But the fact that he inflicted those injuries on her and then did nothing to help her, in fact, went to bed, and then in the call to the emergency services the next morning, he described her as dead as a donut. So the local MP for that area as well as Harriet Harman, who used to be the uh, Attorney General, I believe, actually. Um, Quite a senior MP, I think. Isn't she mother of the House now, Harriet Harman? Possibly. So she's been in the House of Commons longest. Or she's the oldest. There are different ways to get that title. Oh, I forget. Yes. Um, It's it's one of the... I don't think she is the oldest, actually. I think it's that she's been the longest. Sorry, Harriet. Yes. Um... But she quite publicly said the Attorney General needs to review this. And local MP also said, I want a meeting with the current Attorney General because I want to discuss this going to appeal. Why why has he got such a meagre sentence, essentially? Three years, eight months for brutally injuring someone and leaving them to die. You know, it's... (laughs) Accident or not, really, isn't it? It's accident or not, you've still done this. Exactly. And it was the way he then treated her. Was, is, it's just callous, really. But a lot of lawyers, particularly on Twitter, actually, were saying to Harriet Harmon, 
Call her Harriet, you know her. You know, Harriet, you know, has her. Anyway. Um, she, they were saying to her that, you know, you don't know the full case facts. And it's like, well, I don't, I haven't read the um, full judgment in the interest of full disclosure, but I'm sorry. My problem is the fact that he didn't, he didn't help her. He didn't do anything to actually help her at all. Well, and he left her in a state in which she could have died. <laughs> I mean, he killed her and didn't help her. Yeah, and potentially she would have not died if he'd acted, mm-hmm. you know, appropriately by any reasonable standard. Yeah. This is my issue with it. And I don't really care what the case facts are unless there's something that I'm really missing here that's not about, you know, I... You know, let me know if there's there's some sort of mitigating circumstance. Because if you're telling me that the mitigating circumstances are that, we, that it was off his face on drink and uh, cocaine, um, I'm not convinced by that, I'm no. afraid. And it's also worth pointing out that she was also extremely intoxicated. So the fact yeah. that they chose to engage in this and he chose to inflict those injuries on her was irresponsible at best. And in the same way yeah. that if you get drunk and you drive a car and you mm. crash it and kill someone... You are still held responsible for your actions. And intoxication is not a defence to murder. No. <laughs> it's, it's, it's literally not. It's not accepted as a defence. Um, not even a partial defence. And then um, one of the things that that quite upset me about this case, <laughs> one of the many things, was, to be blunt, a lot of the media reporting on it as well. Mm. Because a lot of the articles that you read in some of the best tabloid newspapers... Is, um, there, is there such a thing as a, a best tabloid? The best worst tabloid newspapers <laughs> um, was voyeuristic, it was gleeful, it went into a lot of detail about um, what she liked and didn't like. A and bit slut-shamey. And it was very slut-shamey. And the tone of those articles was very misogynistic. And in the Daily Mail, Harris, <laughs> you amaze me. In the retracted. <laughs> in the redacted. You're going to put like a beep over that. <laughs> we all know what I'm referring to. If we have actually removed the name of that, everybody knows the tabloid I mean. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I know. Who'd have thought misogynistic coverage there? Um And then I think you get this weird kind of dissonance where, okay, so we argue you can't consent to being, you know, very badly injured. But at the same time, by their tone, she sort of deserved it. So it's almost like the second that you venture outside of kind of standard sex practices, then you don't become worthy of protection, but we still will prosecute in some way. You know, we don't judge you as being able to consent to this, but consenting to that makes you a bad person. This is the thing, like, I I can't remember the exact sentences that the Spanner case men got. I think it was longer than this guy. I mean, that's appalling, isn't it? Yeah, but I think that might be because they were charged with multiple offences, to be fair, but I think some of them got, like, six years. And just to repeat, no one died, always left permanently maimed as no. a result of that, right? Which was very specifically noted in the judgment. They were saying um, no one was permanently injured. I, th- I don't even think any of them required medical attention. They probably hurt, I assume. Yeah, one assumes. <laughs> one assumes. Though, but, as we established, we are not penis havers. So. No. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and assume that we're right on this one. I think that... Um, well, the noise my boyfriend name. Um, the noise my boyfriend made when he heard us discussing yeah. this. <laughs> it was, it was a wail of despair <laughs> from the other room. So, yeah, it's... 
Whereas this case where someone did die. Yeah. Three years, eight months. It's This is the thing, is... If you do something reckless... Because recklessness is, is a is a thing in UK law. It exists as a concept. Like reckless driving, right? Yes. Um, or, you know, if the way you behaved was reckless and it caused... You know, like you left your... Um, circular saw plugged in and switched on and left it in the middle of the floor unmarked in a children's play area (laughs) and then children came up and touched it and turned it on and were horribly injured yep that that was reckless because what you did was really stupid Mm -hmm. so you you could argue it's essentially i think in the u.s it's like reckless endangerment i think is a thing that they have for, for children um but this was essentially reckless endangerment it's that it Let's pretend for, for five seconds that I believe that he, you know, really cared about her and he was just so off his face that he couldn't even think. Mm-hmm. And that's why he went to bed, which I don't believe, by the way. Um, but let's pretend for a second that I did. The way that what, what he did and the way he behaved was so reckless, had a, com- a complete blatant disregard for her well-being in a way that, as, be- as best I understand it, is, would not be accepted in pretty much any BDSM community. As far as I'm aware, anyway. So what are we saying here? We're saying that consent is vital, mm. but even with consent, you should exercise best judgment? Is that what we're saying? Yeah, I think there's there's a certain level of caution that you need to exercise and be really... Just just be careful, really, isn't it? And, and you know, things are going to go wrong. But that's true of everything. You know, you go skiing, you don't want to break your leg, but mm-hmm. you might. Well, we were discussing earlier in uh, this episode that, you know, uh, sport is an example of where you can hurt someone, provided you didn't do it deliberately. And people are judged to have agreed to consented to take part in the sport, like boxing. So you're yeah. unlikely to be charged with anything unless there were other reasons as well. Yeah, I think there was a boxing case, um, if I remember correctly, where somebody actually died. I mean, people have died in boxing and uh, wrestling as well. Yes. Um, I have a friend who's very into wrestling. Mesh. Ah, uh, yes. His new passion. Um, and His second uh, shout-out on the podcast. Is it his second shout-out? Yeah, because... Hi, Mesh, person. you better be listening. Because <laughs> yeah, you said he's the only person you follow on Twitter. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I'm not going to give his Twitter handle out for free, Mesh. I'll do it if you pay. You can be our first sponsor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Where's I going with this? Yes, anyway, he was telling me about cases where wrestlers have died. Um, and because people weren't judged to have been uh, neglectful or reckless or uh, malicious, mm. no one was prosecuted as a result. It's an unfortunate accident. Mm. But this is the thing, is that then... There's a certain amount of... You're a grown up, and we let you accept risk. I mean, we were talking. Mm. We were talking earlier about sort of, you know, do we really want to let eighteen year olds like brand some, you know, something all across their back? It's like, well, we're perfectly happy to let eighteen year olds tattoo things all across mm-hmm. their back. If you want to get someone's name tattooed across your back, you're perfectly welcome to or do have so. Children, <laughs> yeah. Is that is that smart? Probably not. But there's a certain point at which the state has to let you make your own mm. mistakes and has to judge you an adult. Yeah. And, you know, you want to do something really stupid, it's your life. And this goes back to what's the purpose of of the law 
anyway, you know, you can't legislate against stupidity, I've definitely heard as a phrase. (laughs) And we don't legislate against things that we know are bad for people. So, for example, alcohol or cigarettes. There are laws around alcohol and cigarettes, but it's not about banning them entirely. Mm. So at what point should the law get involved and at what point shouldn't it get involved? I I don't, you know, I'm not saying I necessarily know the answer, but I think what Tierney and I are both saying here, not to talk for you, Tierney, Mm. is that there are instances where at the moment it is getting it wrong. Yes. And the Dr. Evil case, um, the Operation Spanner case and others are all examples of that. This, yeah, this, this is, this is essentially the issue that we have and I think that it all boils down to people just really honestly not understanding how other people choose to live their lives Mm -hmm. I think that that's I I really do think that that's what it is like no do I understand why somebody wants to get their tongue split no do I understand why somebody would want or wax in various places. Yes, or to use it, a hot knife was what the, the guy used to brand his wife, I believe, with his initials on her buttocks. I think that was the branding that he did, the one where he was acquitted. Do I get that? No. But I don't need to. Mm-hmm. That's Nobody asked me. I'm not involved. Exactly. If you ask me to do it, I'm going to say no, but that should be the end of it. That's that. That's where the law gets a little bit, I don't know, paternalistic. Yes, I think paternalistic is a very good word. You know, yeah. I don't understand liking coffee or dark chocolate or red wine. Do I think they're disgusting? Yes. Do I judge people who drink them or eat them? Yeah. Yes. Well, Do I think they should be made legal? Well, I am still talking myself into that now. But yeah. no, not really. No, it's also like we're both we're both now vegetarians. We weren't when I started the podcast, but I'm now gone back to being a vegetarian. I was. I was always good. Yeah, Karis has always been a vegetarian. Um, I think that there should be better regulation of the meat industry, but I'm not going to stop other people living their own lives and doing what they want. Mm. Like, that's sort of the point, is I'm making my own choice. Because I have that choice to make. But that said, we do think there is a line. And certainly that line comes before, for example, killing someone. Exactly. Even if they're arguing that they consented. So it's not necessarily about not drawing a line. It's about drawing the line in a different in a different place and also bringing the notion of consent much more towards the centre and much mm. more foregrounded than it is it at is. the moment. It should also, um, just slightly off topic, it should be co- taught in schools. Consent should be taught in 100% schools. 100% completely agree. Absolutely. Would be far more useful than many other things that are currently taught in schools. Yes. Um, current the current state of sex education even in the UK is appalling and then I hear about um, the US and I want to cry so before we finish um, speaking of sex education we want to quickly run down statistics for rape and sexual assault cases in the UK because frankly they are so fucking disgusting I I knew some of these statistics off the top of my head beforehand it was there was a couple missing and then when you put them all together the picture is genuinely terrifying so we know globally that roughly 70 to 95 percent of all rapes and sexual assaults are never reported to the police we know that um, of those that are reported in the uk 80 percent are recorded as no crime between 12 and 14 percent are investigated but either go cold or are not prosecuted for other reasons such as lack of evidence uh, between two and four percent are recorded as are recorded as false accusations although we will get on to that 
and 4% go on to trial. Of those that do go to trial, only 6.5% result in convictions. So those statistics on their own are pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I thought, well, what does that, what does that sound like in, in actual numbers? Um, so to really understand how awful that is, we crunched best case and worst case scenarios. So that's 30% being reported or 5% re- being reported. So the real numbers are probably somewhere in the middle, because obviously we don't know exactly. Um, I wanted to use a thousand, but that was unfortunately not a big enough number. So best case, and 30% are reported. Of every 10,000 rapes that occur, that means that 3,000 are reported to the police. 2,400 will be recorded as no crime. Between 360 and 420 will be investigated, but not progress any further. Between 60 and 120 are are then recorded as false accusations, and 120 will go to trial. Of those 120 that go to trial, 7.8 will result in conviction. Being extremely generous and rounding that up, eight convictions for every 10,000 rapes, and that is the best case. Worst case, with only 5% being reported and using the same 10,000 figure, 500 would get reported to the police, 400 would be recorded as no crime, 60 to 70 would be investigated but go no further, 10 to 20 would be recorded as false accusations, and 20 of the original 10,000 would go to trial. Of those 20, 1.3 would result in conviction. So that's of 10,000 rapes and 500 reported to the police, 1.3 will ultimately be, uh, sorry, will ultimately result in conviction. We also want to discuss the ones recorded as false accusations. Firstly, Assuming they were all false accusations, it's important to highlight that number is no higher than any other crime. And false rape accusations are something that, you know, are wrong and people definitely should not do them. But they tend to receive a disproportionate amount of space in the media. Um, And secondly, the other point to make is there are recorded cases where the false accusations, quote unquote, were in fact not false. Some were, for example, women who had been victims of domestic violence who then retracted their statements, generally out of fear, um, because they didn't want to take it forward, sometimes because they got back with the abuser. Um, And some of those women were then prosecuted and sent to prison for perverting the course of justice, which is a crime which carries a maximum sentence of life in prison. There was a particularly horrific case from April this year, 2019, of a teenager, I think a 19-year-old, who kept reporting her stalker to the police. Uh, and they issued her with a fine for wasting police time because they essentially didn't believe what she was telling them. Her stalker then broke into the house and killed her. Yeah. So looking at these statistics, hearing about these cases and talking to people I know who've gone through the police process with these things, we're doing something seriously wrong and we have to fix it. I appreciate that with the weight of criminal evidence that crimes like rape and sexual assault are very difficult to prove, but I really believe that the way that these cases are handled and investigated at the police level plays a large part in these horrendous statistics. Why are 80% of cases recorded as no crime? And I think, personally, here is the answer, it is to close the case. Of everything that we've talked about, everything that we've talked about today... How does any of this contribute to justice? 
That is the fundamental question. How does prosecuting victims of domestic violence serve the public good? How does issuing a teenager with a £90 fine for wasting police time, even if she was making it up, how does that help anybody? You just, you know, if, you, if, you, if she keeps calling you and you really don't believe her, you don't need to give her a fine. You could just ignore her, basically. Yeah, or if you think she really is making malicious accusations for some reason, then investigate it. But don't slap her with a fine and just say, OK, we're closing the file now. Yeah. You know, so, that's just trying to get something off your desk, isn't it? Yeah, cause, so there was a man who claimed that there was a VIP Westminster paedophile ring. I didn't know that that wasn't true until mm. I started researching yeah. the, this case. Um, he's currently on trial for perverting the course of justice. So his claims tarnish the names of several very high-profile people, some of whom are dead and unable to defend themselves. And on top of that, it launched an investigation that cost over £2 million. And took up a lot of police resources that would have been better spent investigating actual things that had happened. Yes, it got massive amounts of publicity. The details were widely reported in the press. The police were trying to get other victims to come forward to aid the investigation. I thought it was being handled really well when they were doing it as well. I remember thinking... Oh, oh, you know, they're taking this really seriously. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Oh, it's so awful that this that this happened. And I could totally believe that it had. Um, but eventually it was found that he'd fabricated the whole thing. So he was probably abused, apparently, just not by any of the people that were said. I think it was family member or something. Uh, he was clearly a, a very mentally unstable person. He was. But he was definitely lying about this. And as a result, wasted police time, the public's time, and a lot of money. And it's also, like, some of the people he accused are dead and can't defend themselves. So it matters slightly less. But some, some of them, of them are alive. Men, yeah. And they were, like, you know, men in their 80s and 90s, elderly men with unblemished careers, who suddenly had themselves and their families dragged through the mud for something that ultimately wasn't true. I think they were arrested, taken to police stations, and like if they'd done it, then, you know. Yeah, great. Do but it. They had done done it. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so a case like that one being prosecuted for perverting the course of justice, yes, because that does serve the public. High-profile cases like his undermine legitimate victims speaking out about high-profile perpetrators, and it caused real lasting harm to a lot of people, you know, primarily the people who he accused. But the bar for prosecuting someone, or even issuing them with these fucking bullshit fines, should be incredibly high. Because the absolute last thing that we need to do right now is have any kind of deterrent for people coming forward. And then after they do come forward, we have to fucking do better than we really currently are. Very well put, Tony. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So it's just, this was why we wanted to, we wanted to do this episode and give it the seriousness that it deserves. Mm-hmm. So the jokes are relatively thin on the ground. Yes. Unlike usually where it's chock-a-block. <laughs> but, um, and I think, you know, we both have people close to us who've been very affected by this. And, you know, we have seen close up how poorly the system deals with these things. In a couple of different countries as well. I know mm-hmm. people in other countries who've had awful... Awful awful experiences. Different people, different experiences, different police forces, and none of them have been dealt with well. No. And the thing is, statistically, you, the listener, you know somebody like that too. Exactly. So I hope at the very least we've given you some food for thought, um, and hopefully this has been an informative and nuanced discussion. And we are not, I think, saying that we know all of the answers but that's part of the point that there needs to be a discussion around this 
and people need to to think more broadly and more in more depth about it and i think alternative lifestyles as well need to be better understood exactly um and just sort of allowed for more in society and in, in the law um so yeah we should also mention that we're not going to be doing the true or false laws section at the end of this episode. Uh, we discussed it, we started recording it, and decided it was just wildly inappropriate. So if that's the only reason you listen, firstly, please tell us. And secondly, um, it's not going to be there. It will resume as normal next week, which is going to be our Halloween special. Yay! Finally, thanks to Blueberry Creations, who designed our podcast logo, to Sunstarved Designs, who designed our website and host the podcast, and our theme music is Freckless by Kevin McLeod. Lastly, one quick reminder that nothing in this podcast constitutes legal advice. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.